One of the most, uh, one of the blessings of being, I think, raised in Korea and in the U.S. is I get to be exposed to the best of Christianity, both in the U.S. and Korea. And I was reading an article about one of the most influential pastors in the Korean church history. And this pastor was, was named Reverend Sun Yang Won. Reverend Sun, um, he's famous for two things. The first thing that he's famous for, um, not famous, he is highly regarded for, is he spent his entire life, adult life, ministering to lepers in a small leper colony in Korea. There's a, there's a small area in, in, I think it's a little island in Korea, where all the lepers live. And he devoted his entire life serving those lepers. He wasn't a megachurch pastor. He didn't have fame or acclaim, but simply devoted his life to loving and ministering to lepers. I just feel like crying just by saying that. But what he's also highly regarded for is the fact that how he forgave the man who murdered two of his sons. In 1948, two years before the Korean War, there was, there was a lot of political upheaval in Korea, and there were like this insurrection movement happening in Korea where a group of men tried to overthrow the government, and in the process, um, they killed 150 people. And one of the men who were part of this insurrection movement killed and murdered Reverend Sun's two sons. The man was arrested. He was caught and arrested. He was tortured in prison, and he was sentenced to death. Reverend Sun, rather than, you know, being pleased with the justice that is coming his way, pleaded with the Korean government to release the man who killed his two sons. The government refused, and Reverend Sun said, I will adopt him as my son. Please release him. I guess the government laws were less strict back then, so the government officials agreed to Reverend Sun's request, and the man was released, and Reverend Sun adopted the murderer of his sons as his own son. And that man lived as Reverend Sun's son until, the, until his dying days. Reverend Sun's daughter couldn't understand why his father, her father would do that. For the longest time, she couldn't understand why, how he could love a man who murdered two of, his, two of her brothers. But as she grew older, she understood that the love that her father showed this murderer is the love that God has for his people. Reverend Son's love for this man is a perfect representation of God's love for his people. Scripture makes it clear. By our natural birth, because we are united with Adam, we are all enemies of God. Enemies not because emotionally we hate God, but enemies because everything that we want and everything that we see and everything that we plan and hope in are directly opposite of how God made the world and how God made us. We are all enemies. The way we trash the world, the way we trash other human beings, the way we unleash evil in the world, the way we agree with the evil in the world, we are enemies of God. But rather than seeking justice by killing us, he adopted us as his children through the blood of his son. That's the love of God towards his people. That's the love of God towards you and me. And therefore, we are called to spend the rest of our days loving others just as God loved us, just as how Reverend Son loved the murderer of his sons. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is instructing the Corinthians to love because the Corinthians, Christians, 
hated each other. There were divisions, there were lawsuits, there were pride, there were bickering. They were hating each other. And 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is teaching how to love people that you find disagreeable, offensive. Maybe most of us are not called to love the murderer of our children, just as Reverend Son did. But the calling is still the same. The calling is to love people that you find annoying, disagreeable, disappointing, unacceptable. Paul says, if you claim to be a Christian, and if you do a lot of things in God's name, but cannot love your fellow Christians, especially those who you consider annoying, like Christ loved you, then all your service before the Lord means nothing. You could preach the best sermons week after week, but if you have no love, no forgiving love towards the people of the church, then PJ, your, your preaching means nothing. You could come and serve and play the drums. I'm not pointing any drummers. You can play the drums and play the guitar and lead Bible study all you want. But if you cannot forgive those you think hurt you over and over again, then your service to him means nothing. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. That is why I think, the, I think it's tragic that the word love gets so easily thrown out, right, in Christian services. We sing about love, we talk about love, we hear about love. But no one stopped and examined what love really is, how impossible love is. It's impossible on our own. It's impossible to love people on our own, but we are called to do it. Then what is the secret? How do we love people? What is the power in loving people, especially those whom we find disagreeable? It is, the secret is, to know the reality of the love of God. You have to be clearly be aware. You have to be clearly convinced that God acts in history. God acts in people's lives. God builds people. And you need to understand that God is continually loving and forgiving people. That understanding of God will empower us to love other people. I'll give you, a, I'll flesh this out for you. For us, I think reality, we define reality strictly in terms of what we see, hear, feel, touch, and smell, right? We think that's the real world. What we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we can touch. We define that as the true reality. But that's not the true reality. The, our, per, per, the, our perception is just a small part of reality. For example, there are things that your eyes cannot see. Your eyes cannot see infrared light. Your, your, our eyes can't, right? There are certain things that, that my ears, sort of, there are certain pitches that my ears cannot hear because I'm old that June's ears are, is able to hear. There's like an Apple app, right? There's a sound app. And if you turn on this app, people who are young can hear the pitch. People like me and Pastor Ujin cannot hear it, right? It's limited. Our perception is limited. Reality is more expansive than our immediate senses. What is real is the way God works. Just as real as what we see, heal, feel, and touch, what is real is God actively being involved in the lives of his people. He's involved, he weaves his life, he weaves his power into the life of people so that they will become, they will become, they will start to bear more and more of the image of Jesus Christ, who is perfect love. Even though we cannot see God's work in people's lives, we need to be convinced that the reality of God is that for his people, God do not leave his people alone. God always works in his people's lives. 
And therefore, even though we cannot see people changing, if we're convinced that God is at work in those people, we have the power to love others. We have the power to love others not from looking within, because there's nothing you will find looking within. You will need to hope in the real workings of God in order to hope in people, in order to love them. To love a murderer, to love someone who murdered two of his sons. Reverend Son can do it because he was convinced of the forgiveness and the power of God. That's what you need to love others. And this is what we're going to go back to over and over again throughout this sermon. Let's go to the list. Let's go to verse, I think last time we left off at verse 5. Now we are, talk, we, are, we are going to talk about, you know, verse 6. Once again, verse, verse 4 teaches us what love is. Verse 5 and 6 teaches us what love is not. In verse 6 it says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoings. What does that mean? I think it means this. It means love does not rejoice when you listen to or see people's moral failings. It means um, love does not take pleasure in other people's sins. One of the ways that we know that we are loveless is if we take great interest in the sin and the moral failings of other people. The word evil describes destruction, right? Evil means destruction. When a person commits evil, they are destroying themselves and the people around them. That's what evil is. The most proper response when we see people acting evil and doing wrong is we need to be concerned for them, right? We need to, we need to mourn for, for, the, for the destructive act that they're doing, right? When we see people hurting themselves and hurting other people, the most natural response should be we should feel really, like, mourn over them, right? We should be angry at their sins, and we should try to stop them. That's the normal human response to people engaged in destructive behaviors. But the thing about sin is that when we hear about the evil and wrongdoings of others, rather than trying to stop them, rather than mourning for them, we find it entertaining. We find it very interesting. That's why gossip is very delicious. Gossip, gossip is really about how the person that we're gossiping doesn't measure up and is messing up. But rather than praying for them and deeply concerned for them, rather than reaching out to that person and to talking to them and telling them to repent, we find it delicious. Whoa, it's tasty. We find it fascinating. Don't we? Rejoicing in the evil behaviors, wrongdoings of other people is the foundation of our entertainment. It's the foundation of our news program. Fox News, over and over again, they tell news about how Hunter Biden, I don't know what he did, but how he's like evil and corrupt. CNN, MSNBC is about, about how evil and wrong Trump is. Just broadcasting people's faults over and over and over again. The real housewives of whatever, Beverly Hills, Atlanta, D.C., Potomac, I don't know how many there are. The Bachelor. You know why they're so entertaining? Because they are human wrecks. They're just absolute, these people on those shows are absolute wrecks. And we find their fighting. We find their financial woes. We find their dramas very fascinating. We rejoice in evil. Why do we do that? Why do we rejoice in evil? I mean, there are a few reasons. Number one, I suppose we rejoice in evil because when we look at someone who does evil, when we hear about someone who does evil, 
subconsciously, I think we can recognize ourselves in them. What they're doing is not totally foreign to us because subconsciously we know what they're doing lives in us. So there is like this empathy, I think, that we feel when we look at destructive behaviors. Another reason perhaps is because not only do we empathize, when we look at other people's wrong behaviors, we somehow justify our wrong behaviors. When we see people acting immoral and wrong, subconsciously we tell ourselves that if, I, if that person is doing wrong, then maybe what I'm doing is not that bad. It justifies, other people's wrongdoings justifies our own sins. There are, there are many instances, there are instances more often of Christian leaders like failing in, in sexual scandals. There are many Christian leaders who are falling due, like, because of sexual scandals. The dangerous thing about their failing is this. When people look at Christian leaders falling in that way, we, we may silently give permission into our own hearts to lust after what they lusted after. We think if that person failed, and that person was pretty holy in my eyes, then what chance do I have against this battle? If that person did it, I can do it too. Other person's wrong failing gives us reasons for us to fail, fail. And I think perhaps rejoice in wrongdoings because we feel empowered by judging them. All of us want to play God, right? All of us want to play God. All of us want to condemn people, say, that person is wrong. And we like it. When we judge people who are doing wrong, we feel as if, you know, we are above them. We feel, we tell ourselves, well, at least I'm not that bad. We judge them. We, we feel better about ourselves by judging others who are doing wrong. Love does not rejoice in evil. If you are entertained by gossips, if you're entertained by the moral failings of others, if you get a sly self-satisfaction in talking behind people's back, you are loveless. You do not know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoings. But love rejoices with the truth. What does that mean, love rejoices with the truth? Love rejoices when you hear people conforming their lives to the truth. You find such joy. Like when I listened to JIP's testimony, I felt such joy. Because he, is, he was once in darkness, but now he found the light. What is salvation? Salvation is people, all of us, because of our natural birth, were, were more or less, we, we, we belong to Satan. I don't mean we were Satanists. But we were children of lies. Satan, Jesus said, is the father of lies, right? And those like, who live a life of lie are his children. How are we children of lies? By our, because we're, we're united with Adam? We think what we think, what we perceive, our judgments, we think that's the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. Jesus is the truth. But rather than embracing Jesus as the truth, we, we embrace, I don't know, like the worldly philosophies or our internal biases or our, our, our internal perceptions. We think this is the truth and not Jesus. That's what being in darkness is about. You, we, are, we, we embrace lies rather than truth. But when Jesus, when God saves us in Christ, what he does is he corrects our vision to show us that we're wrong, that Jesus is right. That's what salvation looks like. That you are wrong and Christ is right. Right? And when we begin to see Christ is right, Christ is the truth then we become people of truth. 
We not only want to know the truth, we want to live in accordance to the truth. And when we live in accordance to the truth, our lives become fruitful, healthy, sane. I'll give you an example. The Christian celebrity I was talking about was Justin Bieber. I love that guy now, right? Baby, Baby is one of my top, 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 top ten songs, favorite songs of all time. Don't judge me. My wife, the classical musician, will roll her eyes. But Baby, 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 genius. Justin Bieber was raised in a Christian home. Justin Bieber embraced Jesus when he was a, little, a teenager. But Justin Bieber, according to him, took a deep dive in drugs, sleeping around. He, he went crazy. And when the Christian interview asked him, how did you live like this? That's, and like I said in the prayer of confession, it says, I was, even though I was Christian, I lived this insane life because I never really examined who Jesus was. I had a very shallow understanding of who Jesus was when I was a kid. And that shallow understanding just, you know, you know, like made him feel no guilt in going insane. But then he said, I took a deep dive into Jesus. I really start to examine who, who, who he really is. I start to examine the importance of obedience and following him. Now I follow him. That's what Justin Bieber says. His last, latest album is all about worship songs, I think. But the reason I mentioned Justin Bieber is I saw a concert, a clip of his concert at Saturday Night Live yesterday. And I looked at him. And he looked healthy. Physically, he looked healthy. Before, he was all tatted up, scrawny, thin. Like, you know, he looked like a mess. But yesterday, I saw a healthy man. That's what happens if you live a life in accordance to the truth. You're, you, are start to bear, you start to bear life. When you're trapped in lies, it's insane. You're, you're not healthy. Your relationships are not healthy. But when you start to conform to the truth, you become healthy. Your relationship starts to become healthy. You become sane. And when you see people becoming sane and fruitful, your heart finds joy. Jesus says, what does Jesus say? It's God's greatest joy is when sinners repent and comes into truth. Luke chapter 15, in the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is saying, one sinner, one per, one sinner who was in darkness and lies, when that person repents and comes into truth, there is great Rejoicing in heaven. When an insane man who is in darkness comes into truth in the light of who Christ is, there is great joy in heaven. Remember the prodigal's parable of the prodigal son? The son wastes all his father's money, and the son comes back to his father. What does the father do? The father runs after the son and throws a party. There's great joy when a person comes to truth and love. You know you have love when you listen to someone coming to the truth and you're so glad that, they, that you rejoice in it. My greatest pleasure as a pastor, I, may, I ain't lying, is when I hear how sane some of you become. That you are once doing whatever you are doing, now that you're not, now you have a clarity of the vision for your life. Oh, there is such great joy. There's joy. Do you know what that joy means? In your life, is there more taking pleasure in others, listening to other people's wrongdoings? Or is there more joy when you, listen, when you look at other people being, being transformed by the truth? Love does not rejoice in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. That's what this means. You do not rejoice when other people fail. You rejoice when they are saved. Do you know this joy? Love is not only these things. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What these verses, before we begin these verses, in order to better understand what these verses are, we, had, we need to understand our tendency, our human tendency is 
when people hurt us, when people annoy us, when people disappoint us, if, we, if they do it often enough, what do we do? We cancel them in our lives. We dismiss them, right? The greatest, one of the, one of the cancers of the modern church is people cancel church in their hearts. Because maybe there's a group of people in the church that they find disagreeable, right? And, the, and these people are not changing in the way that you want them to change. You dismiss them. And you cancel them in your hearts. And the way you cancel them is, one, you don't associate with them, or two, you just leave the church. Our threshold for dealing with disagreeable people is very short. We live in a world of cancel culture, right? If you tweet things that are disagreeable to the modern thinking, then you get canceled, right? If you do not embrace the progressive agenda of of, of the left. If you're, a high, if, you're, if you're a public figure, they will cancel you, right? Google fired one of his software engineers who tweeted that there are differences between men and women. He was fired for that. He was canceled for that. It's not just Google. We do it to other people. We cancel them. We dismiss them. The qualities of love in verse 7 is a direct opposite of that. How do, you, how do you handle people that you disagree with, that you disapprove of? Verse 7, love, you bear all things, you believe all things, you hope all things, you endure all things. This is how you deal with your enemies, Paul says. Let's talk about what it means to bear all things. Bearing all things, it's, the image is like a weight, right? You carry someone's weight on your back and you walk with them. That's what bearing all things mean. What is the weight that you're called to carry? It is their sins, their faults, their pains, their annoying habits, their childhood traumas, their stubbornness, they're unwilling to listen. These are the weight that everyone has. And as a body of Christ, we are called to lift those things and carry those weight on our backs. We are not to say, that person is a sinner, that person annoys me, therefore I'm just going to not carry that person in my life. It's the opposite of that. We have a tendency to say, if that person is, if I have, if that person I have no hope for, that person will always be the same. Our tendency is we just like, we just abandon them, we leave them. Love bears all things is the opposite of that. Look, there are sins that need to be disciplined, right? There are certain sins, there are sins that need to be disciplined. For example, if I like went around like, you know, having an affair, then you need to tell me to repent. And if I say, you don't know what you're talking about, David cheated, therefore I could cheat too. If I say that to you, then you've got to tell me, no, you're wrong, PJ, please reconsider. And I say, hey, Abraham cheated, therefore I could cheat. Right? You're wrong. I got a seminary degree, you don't. How dare you, how dare you challenge a pastor? Then the church has to get together and make me repent. And if I say, church, you're wrong. Who else had multi- who else cheated? I don't know. There are a lot of adulterers. I'll give you another example of adulterer in the Bible and say, you're all wrong. Then you need to kick me out. And by kicking me out, you're telling me, I don't think you're a Christian. We don't think you're a Christian. That's what you need to do. There are certain things that you are called to people to repent lovingly. And if they don't repent, they must be disciplined. But there are also types of sin where we repent of, but cannot readily overcome. 
All of us have sins that we know that are wrong, that we're remorse over, but it takes a long time for us to get over. Such sins, we as a body must bear and walk with that brother or sister. If there are annoying habits that I have and that you, ha- that you have, rather than not dealing with you, I need to walk with you, carrying that annoyance with me. We're called to bear each other's burdens. And that's what marriage is all about, isn't it? In marriage, you get, as a wedding gift, not only do you get a toaster from Bed Bath & Beyond, as a wedding gift, you get your partner's sins. You get your partner's stubbornness. You get your partner's unforgiveness. You get your partner's like, perception that is completely different from your perception. You get their annoying habits. You get their annoying sleep schedules. You get their annoying eating habits. You get their messiness. That's what I'm going to preach at my next wedding, by the way. That's the wedding gift. Surprise! You get their annoying habits. What are you going to do? Not bear it? No, you're called to bear it. Bearing it means living with it. Living with it. As hard as it is, you live with it. How do you live with it? How do you bear the pain of your spouse's issues, baggages? And how do you bear the baggages of your fellow Christians? You bear it by remembering that Christ who bears your sins in his back every day. You bear it by remembering you are not very, you are not easily lovable. I am not easily lovable. But Christ bears us on his back. Always looking at the love of Christ who bears our burdens is the secret of bearing the burdens of others. Psalm 68 verse 19 Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Do you know that Jesus Christ, in order to love you, must he bear your burdens on him? Do you know he knows how unfaithful you are? How, how How easily forgetful you are of his truth? Do you not know that he knows of this perpetual sin that you are guilty of over and over and over again? Do you know he, do you know, he knows how stubborn you are, despite his constant instruction of live, telling you to live otherwise? You don't heed. Does he abandon you? He bears to love you. Just as he did for you, you bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters. You bear the burdens of your, of the fellow, of your spouse. Love, what time is it? Oh man, okay, quickly. Love not only bears all, bears all things, love believes all things. What does love believing all things mean? It means when a brother or sister in Christ offends you or challenges you, number one, you don't doubt their salvation. Just because they wronged you that you find disagreeable, you don't doubt their salvation if they profess to be Christian. Look, there is a certain pastor that I really find disagreeable. It's not any of the pastors here in the church, right? I love, I love all of them. But there is a certain public pastor that I just find really disagreeable. Like when I listen to that guy's, like read that guy's words, I just, ugh, I get so mad. There's a voice in my head that tells, that tells me, maybe he's not a Christian. How can he say these things? Maybe he's not. Love believing all things means, even if I find that guy disagreeable, if he made a profession of faith that Jesus Christ died for his sins and that he is in Christ, then believing all things means I give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't question the salvation of a person who who hurts me, that I find disagreeable if they claim to be Christians, if they claim to believe that Jesus Christ died for them and that they are in Christ. When people hurt us, it is so easy for us to condemn them. Especially if a Christian hurt us, it is easy for us to condemn their faith. But you believe that they are saved, not because they are agreeable to you, 
but because you believe in the sovereign God who calls sinners unto himself. Even though what that person does makes no sense to you, you still trust that if that person claims to be a Christian, he claims to be a Christian because God has saved them and God will continue work in that person. You look at the call of God and the work of God in order to believe that person. Does that make sense? You don't believe that person's salvation because, you know, you know that person, what that person make, says makes sense to you. You believe that person's a Christian because you believe in the sovereignty of God. Believing all things not only, not only means not only questioning the person's salvation that disagree with you, it means also give the person another chance. If a Christian hurts you, you give the person another chance. Jesus says, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, I got a great verse. Jesus says in Luke, if a brother sins against you seven times in a day, and in, in each of those seven times he comes and repents of his sins, Jesus says, forgive that brother. Let's say in one day I offend you, hurt you seven times. Twice in the morning, twice at lunch, three times at dinner. I offend you. Right? It's a bad day for you and me. I, we just go at it. I hurt you seven times a day. And if I say I'm sorry seven times, you don't say, you always say you're sorry. You're never going to change. You don't say that. Christ says you forgive seven times and you give the guy another chance. If he fails you seven times, you forgive him seven times. Over and over. You, don't give, you, don't, you, do, not, you do not give up on people. You do not say, you, you give a person another chance. What is the threshold of your forgiveness? How many times do they have to cross you in order for you not to give them another chance? Love always gives the person another chance if they're repentant. Why? Because you know, right, that the person is repentant, they're repenting because God is compelling them to repent. And if God is compelling them to repent, even though they mess up over and over and over again, eventually God is going to do His work in them so that they will get better. Maybe they'll mess up seven times again tomorrow. Maybe they'll mess up seven times again next Tuesday. But no matter how much they mess up, if they repent, that's a sign that God is at work with them. And eventually, they're going to get better. So your hope is in the working of God in that person's life. Do you understand? Love hopes all things. It's kind of related to what I just said. What is love hopes in all things? Love hopes all things means love, 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 love is, is looking at a person and seeing that the version of the person that is hurting you is not the final version of that person. Love hopes means when someone hurts you, you're not just going to say that version of the person that hurts me is the final version of that person. You know what we do when other people hurt me, hurt you, hurt us? We say that person will never change. Oh, many marriages are, 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 are ruined because people lose hope in one another. People say to, about the other spouse, that guy, that woman will never change. Right? That's, that's a Korean version. Love, hopes means, no, 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 no. Understanding the version of the person that, that, that is before you is not the final version. If that person is a Christian, God will work His sanctifying grace in that person, and that person will eventually change to bear the image of Jesus Christ. When you look at a person, don't be the final judge of that guy or the girl. Have trust in the sovereignty of God who works out his will in that person's life and who will eventually bear the image of Jesus Christ. Do you know when God loves you, do you think he loves you just the way you are, as many bad youth group sermons teach you? 
when he looks at you, does he accept everything about you and is okay with everything about you as you are now? Do you think? Do you think he's okay with you watching what you watch, saying what you say, doing what you do? Do you think he'll say, oh man, okay, it's okay. You know, I still love him. Is that the love of God? No, the love of God, he loves you despite who you are, despite who I am. Why does he love us despite who we are? It's because he also sees the future version of us. When God looks at us, he not only sees our current faults, but he also sees that one day when Christ comes, if we belong to him, we will be like Christ. We will bear the image of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us right now, he also looks at the person that we will be. That is how he loves us. He thus doesn't love the version that you are right now. He doesn't. He looks at the version of what you will be. So I have permission. If a youth group teacher ever says God loves it just the way you are right now, tell them they're utterly wrong. That he loves you in spite of who you are right now because he knows who you will be in the future. That is how we love other people. When people offend you, people naturally offend you because he, they're a sinner and you're a sinner. But we're not going to stay ignorant sinners. There's going to be growth. It may not take months, days, weeks, months. It may take years. But God will do his work. That's how you love people, not seeing for the, for the person who they are today, but if they're in Christ, of who they will be in the future. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things, means love doesn't give up. Love doesn't cancel. Love doesn't dismiss. The word endure has, a, has, a, has an image of a soldier protecting a fort, right? Let's say, it's, it's, have you seen Lord of the Rings? No, that's a geeky, geeky example. There is, in Lord of the Rings, the two, the, two, the two towers, there is the Battle of Helm's Deep, where the orgs are attacking the, the humans in, Helm, in, in, in the castle called Helm's Deep. That's the last place where all humans live. And they are to, and, and the humans are fighting off these evil forces because there is nowhere else to go. Enduring means that image. You're a soldier and you have nowhere else to go and you're going to stay and you're not going to give up. Love endures. Love stays. Love doesn't leave. Love doesn't leave because a church person hurt you. Love doesn't, love doesn't leave because that person that you th in the church didn't meet your expectations. Love doesn't leave because what that person did is unacceptable. Love stays, love endures. How do we love like this? How do we love our enemies? By understanding the totality of the love of God in our lives. Verse 8, Paul says, love endures, which means love is forever. God's love is forever. Did you know the history of the world, the history of the world in our world is a demonstration of his love. God created the world through his love. God sent his son for his people because he loved us. And those whom he loved, God is giving us the Holy Spirit who will refine us in his love. And one day when Christ appears, we will see love perfectly and we will conform to the image of Jesus Christ, in that, which is our destiny. The history of humanity, the history of your life and mine is a demonstration of God's love. And we need to believe and have confidence in this continually active love of God in our lives. We need to have faith that God is doing His act of love in the lives of His people. Even though you cannot see it and I cannot see it, God sees it. And God is at work. And you need to have faith in that. We are bad with people because, because we don't see God behind it. We see how they're wronging us. Therefore, we think we're justified in treating them illy. No. 
Christians do not live like that. Christians are living under the power of God who works out His love in our lives. And that's the hope. Look, God will, as a homework for your life, give you impossible people to love. I guarantee you, you will marry an impossible person to love. I'm such a... I believe in marriage. But let's be real. It is impossible for you to love that person. How do you do it? You have to have faith in the God and the power of God who, who is involved in the lives of his people, who acts out his love in, the, in our lives. That's the hope. If you don't have that hope, you're not going to be able to love. When perfection comes, Paul says, we will, prophecies will disappear, tongues will disappear, knowledge will disappear. Quickly, because I've got to finish this series, right? I'm sorry, like, give me two more minutes. Paul says, love endures, prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, knowledge will cease. Why does Paul say this? It's because tongues, prophecy which is preaching, and knowledge in this world are all used to lead us to who Jesus is. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge are instruments for us to lead to who God is. But once Jesus Christ fully comes, and once we see perfection clearly, we don't need tongues anymore. We don't need to hear preaching anymore. We don't need to have this kind of, not like, the limited knowledge of God in this world anymore. Because when Christ comes fully, we will see him clearly. And we will see his love clearly. The verse when it says, when I was a child, I acted like a child, right? I thought like a child. What Paul means by childish things is he's referring to tongues, prophecies, and knowledge. He's saying tongues, prophecy, and knowledge are baby talk, right? They're baby talk because they reveal, they don't fully reveal who God is, right? They just, they just lead us into, into just enough knowledge of who He is until He reveals Himself fully. One day, Paul says, God will reveal Himself fully. There will be a day when God will reveal Himself fully. And that's the day that we hope in. We look towards that day when His love will be completed. And as we look forward that, towards that day, that hope will compel us to love people in the, in the present time. I have much more to say, but I can't say it anymore because I'm way overdue. But please understand, the calling of, the God's calling in your life is to love impossible people. Just like Reverend Son loved the murder of his son, you are called to love people that hurt you. And the only way to do it is the, is the under, clear understanding of the active love of God in the history of mankind and in your life. Let us pray for these things and we'll, we'll, let us pray for these. Let us pray. My Lord, you are the source of all love. You are the source of forgiveness. You are the, you are the source that empowers us to love people who are difficult in our lives. Even if we say that we are, we are Christians and even if we say that we serve you, if we do not demonstrate this love towards our enemies, you say that we don't know you. Father, it is easy to agree with the definition of love. It is impossible to live it out. And the only way that we can live it out is to have a clear understanding of your active love in our lives. May we not be strangers to your love. May we not be foreigners to your love. My God, may we be constantly be convinced of your love. The love that you have for us is, is patient and kind. The love that you have for us is truth and forgiveness. The love that you have for us is eternal endurance and hope. As we understand your love for us, Lord, may we start to bear this fruit towards the people that we disagree with, that we find disapproval, disapproving. Father, we also pray right now for many people in our, in our congregation 
who have ailing parents and ailing family members. This year, Lord, embrace have been hit hard by tragedies that befell in our families. There are, we pray, we remember Olivia's mother who is in hospital right now, who is, who suffered a lot of damage in her spine. We pray for healing. We pray for wisdom for the doctor. We pray that you give them proper ways to identify, Lord, what, what is wrong with them and give them the skills and the wisdom to heal. We know, Lord, that you control every cell in our bodies. We pray those cells will help heal Olivia's mom. We pray for that family. We pray, Lord, that you will use this. You will shine your glory and your presence in Olivia's life and the life of her family. We not only pray for Olivia, we also pray for other members of our church whose father has, has terminal cancer. We pray for the members of our church whose children are sick. We pray for the members of our church who lost loved ones. Father, all these things are reminders, Lord, of how short and fleeting life is. And that life never conforms to the way we want it to. These are our reminders, Lord, of the brokenness of creation, but also reminders, Lord, of the fact that there is a day when creation will be made perfect. And that day is when Christ returns. So Lord, no matter where we are in our concern for our parents, may we not lose hope in the eternal kingdom that will come. And may that hope compel them to endure through these times of fear and uncertainty. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.